You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speeder, what's up, man? Enjoying the warm weather. Happy spring, everybody. That was feeling like summer for most of this week, but Ugh. enjoying all that. I know you don't like Despicable. it, but also enjoying, for the first time in a long time, both the Knicks and the Rangers together in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. How about the Islanders? What are you talking about? I'm not an Islander fan. Oh, so I have to sit here and listen to your Ranger talk, and I cannot talk about the New York Islanders? Nobody. We're here in Islander country. 103.9 FM is Islander country. I'm not saying you can't talk about the Islanders and celebrate the fact that, yes, they finally made the playoffs. I'd rather have them get in the Penguins that are in it every year. I'll give you that, but Mm. still, I'm not going to just change my fanship just because I live on Long Island. My friend in college was trying to have me do that. I was a huge Islander fan. He's like, oh, now you live on Long Island. You should change to an Islander fan. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I am a big and huge Islander fan. That's for damn sure. But if you're a Ranger fan, congratulations. The Rangers do sneak into the playoffs. I'm just kidding. They made it to the playoffs. But the Rangers right now are in position to be a contender as much as the Devils are. And the Islanders, I wouldn't say they're a contender, but Matthew Barzell could be back in the first round of the playoffs. And if that happens, the Islanders are absolutely a contender coming out of that first round. They play Carolina this round. The fact is, they are in the playoffs. They didn't have to worry about the Pittsburgh Penguins after them losing against the Chicago Blackhawks. I really did think that the Islanders were going to pull off that win against Montreal, which they did 4-2, to two, and then make it to the playoffs. It's been a great scenario for great New York sports over the last couple of months. You look at the Rangers, you look at the Islanders, you look at the Devils, you look at the Knicks, the Brooklyn Nets, the Yankees, the Mets could make the playoffs this year. Finally, we have competent New York teams. The Giants make it to the playoffs this past year. The Jets have a chance if they get Aaron Rodgers. Right now, you should be happy as a New York fan because everything is falling together. We will get into the Islanders clinching a playoff spot. What do all three tri-state area teams have to do to be successful in the playoffs? The NBA is investigating the lonely and terrible Dallas Mavericks. That actually was the Western Conference championship last year Dallas Mavericks for tanking which means the Knicks could get another first round pick this year from the Mavericks if the NBA decides to drop the hammer on that unbelievable last two games, which they probably would have made the playing game. And Luka Doncic, there are stories coming out that Luka might not want to be a part of that organization if they don't make the right moves in the offseason. And it doesn't look like Kyrie Irving is coming back because that didn't work. The Knicks and Cavaliers preview, we'll get into that. The Nets versus the 76ers. I think the Nets have a very good matchup in that series. Odell Beckham is heading to the Ravens for $18 million with some incentives, obviously. So what does that tell 
tell me about Lamar Jackson, it looks like it's almost a done deal that Lamar Jackson is heading back to the Baltimore Ravens. I think we will find out in the next week or two what the contract will be moving forward with Lamar Jackson. Saquon Barkley will not report to the Giants' mandatory workouts next week. This is a problem. If you're a Giant fan, this shouldn't put a smile on your face that your best player is not going to show up to mandatory workouts. That's a bad sign for Saquon Barkley. MLB, Max Scherzer says that the pitch clock has affected him to start the season. The Mets and Yankees early season impressions and money line mania. So the Islanders clinch on Wednesday night against the Montreal Canadiens. The same Montreal Canadiens that have been a gnat to the Islanders all season long. They finally pull out a win against this Montreal Canadian team that's not any good. They played better in the second half this year. They've beat some pretty good teams too. But the Islanders went in in the final game and pulled off a win that they needed. Desperately, desperately needed. The secrets of this playoff run could be only one thing, and that's Ilya Sorokin. If Sorokin stands on his head throughout the playoffs and he plays dominantly like he's done early in his career in the playoffs, go look at Ilya Sorokin's record, his goals against and save percentage in the playoffs. It is elite numbers. If Sorokin could go into this playoffs matched up against the Carolina Hurricanes, I think they match up very well. Barzell is going to be a big part of this team moving forward. And we haven't seen him play with Bo Horvat since February, which is definitely a problem. The Islanders were going to make that big move at the trade deadline and that's what Lou wanted to do. They wanted to give a guy like Barzell another weapon on that line, which they haven't delivered to him ever since they drafted him. Yes, Gart Snow drafted him. They traded Bavillier. He looks like he's become a star in Vancouver. You have Roddy, who could become a star in the future, and a first-round draft pick. The Islanders needed to make the playoffs because if that pick became a lottery pick, it would have made the Islanders look really, really bad. Bo Horvat has been good, but not great for the Islanders. He started off hot when he came to this team and then has slowed down. Now, that doesn't mean that Bo Horvat isn't a good player. It doesn't mean, moving forward, Bo Horvat won't be a big, important player to this team. What it means is losing a guy like Matthew Barzell on a line that people thought was going to be their elite line, their top line with Bo Horvat and Anders Lee or Paul Mary. We haven't seen that for the last two months. So if you're an Islander fan, you definitely want to hope that Matthew Barzell will be back in the first game of this playoff run. That's one. Two, Ilya Sorokin becomes very, very hot in the playoffs. That will be a very important theme to this team, goaltending. And this defense actually wakes up because they haven't. Everybody keeps talking about this fourth line. Clutterbuck's back. Everybody thought he was out for the season. Sizikis and Martin. Who cares? This defense in Dobson. Pelic, Pulak, Aho, Mayfield. All of these guys need to show up in the playoffs and play their games. If they do that, they could compete with anybody. Yeah, the defensive depth especially was something that the Islanders definitely strived in in other playoff runs that we've seen. And now it's a kind of a different look. Obviously, Pelic and Pulak are still the same, but now you're trying to trust more in guys like Romanov to give him more minutes on the ice. Guys like Dobson, who times defensively this year has been iffy and not really developed in that. He, offensively, he's been fantastic this year, but his defense has been iffy at certain points. Scott Mayfield, like you said, good third-pair defenseman. If he could step his game up too against 
these deeper teams, that'll make a big difference for the Islanders too. And offensive depth. And the Islanders are not one of the faster teams in the league, so they're going to have to try to possess the puck in other ways. Their forecheck has always been good in the playoffs with trots. Will it be the same with Lambert carried over? We will have to see. But this offensive depth, especially if Barzell isn't back right away too, is going to have to carry that load the same way. And especially on the power play too. The Islanders are still at issues with the power play as well. That makes a big difference come playoff time. You can't botch these opportunities when penalties do not get called as much in the playoffs. Brock Nelson has been the savior for the New York Islanders. Yes. Really in the whole second half and what he has done, fighting injury. He had an upper body injury. He wasn't out more than a week. Really wasn't out more than a game. And that shows you the toughness of Brock Nelson. I don't know what's going on with Matthew Barzell, but it is alarming that this player has been out for a significant amount of time and he has been a huge loss for the New York Islanders, especially for scoring. They have not scored enough since his entry. He was on a roll when Bo Horvat was brought to this team. As a matter of fact, he scored three goals, a couple assists, eight points in nine games, and then he got hurt. Then he's been out ever since. Bo Horvat, that has been healthy since he was traded to the New York Islanders, has been not the same player he was when he was in Vancouver because the Islanders were depending on him on a line that didn't have Matthew Barzell. So if you're an Islander fan, you want to hope that this team is at full strength going into the playoffs because then we'll see what this team really is. We haven't seen this team in the playoffs for almost two years now. And the last time they were in the playoffs, they went to the Eastern Conference Championship. And where will that third or fourth type scorer come from that is going to be hot on a consistent basis? They need that third guy to break out because Horvat in the bubble year with Vancouver was very good in the playoffs. I believe he had 10 goals. Vancouver took a very good Vegas team to seven games. A Vancouver team that was very young at the time. Anthony Beauvillier was always that other guy for them, but now he's traded. So Barzell, if he, even if he comes back and does his usual stuff, the Islanders are still going to need that third guy because they're going up against teams that are going to be very deep in the Metropolitan Division. Those teams are all have a lot of offensive depth that's going to be hard, and the Hurricanes both have a lot of defensive depth, too. The Rangers and the Devils, two teams that already clinched a while ago, and two teams that made trades, important trades at the trade deadline for the playoffs. Timo Meyer being added to the Devils at the trade deadline, a powerhouse offensive player that could put the puck in the net, speed, good hands. Jack Hughes, who's 100% healthy, and then Dougie Hamilton, who's been fantastic all season long. I believe the Norris Trophy winner of the NHL this year. It's just been unbelievable. The Devils deserve every bit of the bragging. If you're a Devils fan, you should be excited. You should be happy that the Devils are in the playoffs. And this is a good young team. This isn't an okay team. This is a team that was 51-22. and And they actually have goaltending this year. So they could compete for a Stanley Cup this year. Lindy Ruff, who is a good coach, he hasn't worked out in certain places he's been over the last couple of years. But this is a guy that's been around in the NHL, a good defensive mind with a very good young offensive team. I love what I see with New Jersey. The Rangers, they made those moves at the trade deadline for Tarasenko and Patrick Kane for one reason, and that's to win a cup. They need offense in the playoffs. You saw what happened against the Lightning in that series in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They couldn't put the puck in the net. They couldn't find the net. Now they add two guys like Tarasenko, who has 40 goals in the playoffs, and then you have a guy like Patrick Kane that has been a dominant force for the Chicago Blackhawks on all those runs for those three Stanley Cups that they won over the last 15, 20 years. Both the Devils and the Rangers especially have great team speed, too. The Devils are one of the faster teams in the league. A lot of the analysts we've had on the Sports Lab House have said the Devils might be the fastest team in the league, which is very hard to believe. When you look at Toronto, you look at Edmonton in the past, the Lightning have always been so fast. They're young. And they're fast defensively, too. Now, they're not as physical as a team like the Hurricanes or a team like the Islanders. When That's when going to there. be their problem. That's going to be the thing that I wonder with the Devils, if they can get a forecheck in the middle of the ice and then get some defense with their forwards. And the 
Devils shot blocking defense and not allowing a lot of big scoring chances, that's actually been a big strength for them. And that's why Vitek Vanacek has been a lot better this year as well than people expected. He's not a great goalie, but he's definitely a good goaltender the way he's played this year. And he's been hot in the second half of the season. And like you said, Timo Meyer definitely providing a spark. As far as the Rangers, the two things I worry about with the Rangers are face-offs because they have one guy over 50% and that is Trocek. And Mika Zibanejad has been a little better in the second half of the season, but still is about 49% on the year. Can they get other guys to win face-offs? It hurt them a lot against the Hurricanes, even though they won that series. And it hurt them a lot against the Lightning last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. A team that wasn't that good at face-offs as it was. And the other thing for them is forward defense too. Can they get guys like Panarin and Kane to play well enough defensively where it doesn't hurt them? They have some good defensive forwards, but to circuit, they can't have him shelled like he was last year too. Forwards have to be very physical in the playoffs like they were defensively last year, especially that kid line. Lafreniere and Hedl were hitting like crazy in the playoffs last year. And Gerard Gallant cannot have these guys take their foot off the gas just because now they're thought of as more of a favorite. They still have to play that brand of hockey. Shesterkin is going to play a big part of this run this year. He has been one of the better goaltenders in the second half, and you've seen the difference of the Rangers ever since he's figured it out. So Sorokin, Shesterkin, and Vanacek are going to play a big part on all these teams' runs moving forward in the playoffs. Hockey is all about great goaltending in the playoffs, and all three goalies have been fantastic all season long. Sorokin has been the second-best goalie in the league this season. Oh, yeah. He has been fantastic, and Olmark didn't have the season he's had with Boston. I would say Sorokin was the goaltender of the year. It's been a crazy year for Metro Hockey, and you should be very excited for the first time in over 20 years that the Devils, the Rangers, and the Islanders are in the playoffs together for the first time. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some NBA conversation as the NBA investigates the Mavericks, the Mark Cuban, a.k.a. Kyrie Irving clowns of the Western Conference, as they have been absolutely tanking over the last past week, and that's why they're not in the playoffs. Is Luka Doncic on his way out, and is this team going to lose that pick to the Knicks? When we come back, we will get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It is hot, ladies and gentlemen. 83 degree weather on Wednesday. Over the weekend, it could even get hotter. So if you're loving this weather, good luck to you. And if you're hating this weather, bad luck to you because I am having bad luck right now. I do not like this heat. I know everybody's going to say, where are you from, planet Mars? But if I was from planet Mars, I would like the heat. (laughs) So no, I am from planet Venus. You might also be a different species if you're from Mars. That's right. The NBA is investigating the Mavericks for sitting key players in the final two games of the season. The Mavericks could have gotten the final play-in seed in the Western Conference, which instead went to the Thunder. The Mavericks have one more draft pick they have to send to the New York Knicks from the Kristaps Porzingis trade, which, by the way, he's no longer with the team. (laughs) He is with the Wizards. Five out of the six players that have played the most minutes this season did not play against the Bulls, and Luka Doncic only played in the first quarter. The NBA could still designate the first-round pick to go to the Knicks if the Mavericks 
are caught for tanking. That was blatantly obvious. Luka Doncic said he could request a trade if the Mavericks don't do anything in the offseason. Luka Doncic's on his second year, five-year, $207 million Supermax contract. Mark Cuban made a big mistake bringing Kyrie Irving here. Kyrie Irving is not planning to stay with the Mavericks. He is going to want a super max contract in the offseason. I don't think anybody's going to give that to him. But nevertheless, he's going to hunt. Hopefully he hunts somewhere else. Maybe he finds a way to find a hole in the ground because obviously he doesn't think the earth is flat. But he made a big mistake. And Luka Doncic and him just didn't click. Just like... Chris Stapp's Porzingis, and Luka didn't click. Maybe Luka is better off being by himself, or maybe they should have signed Jalen Brunson. Nevertheless, Jalen Brunson is a Nick, and he will stay a Nick. The question is, is Luka Doncic going to stay a Maverick? Now, if you're a Nick fan, these are all good news. Why is this good news? And I'm not trying to stir up rumors, because that's not what I do. No, that's Josh. But it makes a lot of sense if Luka Doncic doesn't get the players to come to the Mavericks to play with him and he gets traded. Why wouldn't he want to go to the Knicks? Why wouldn't he want to go back and play with Jalen Brunson and a much talented younger team with a lot of draft stock? So much draft stock, even if they do trade for somebody like Luka Doncic. These Knicks still have eight other first-round picks. So even if they tried to trade, like, four of them to get Luka Doncic and a couple players, they still have a lot of young depth and still have a lot of young talent. And no, Mark Cuban, it is not Rick Brunson's fault that Jalen Brunson could not stay with the Dallas Mavericks. It is your fault. You didn't want to give him extra money. And now you are stuck trading for Kyrie Irving and now apparently tanking without even trying to hide it. Sitting five out of six players is definitely not trying to hide the fact that, oh, I'm going to tank to make sure that this Mavericks pick stays top ten so we can keep it. Yeah, okay. You didn't do a good job of that. You should get caught. Mark Cuban is an owner that understands the game and understands the rules of the game. He's a great salesman. We've seen him on Shark Tank, and he belongs on Shark Tank. He doesn't belong running an organization or coaching an organization. If this is true, and Jason Kidd and Mark Cuban sat players at the end of the season because they wanted to get the higher draft pick, they wanted to earn their way into the top five, top ten in the lottery, they will be investigated, and if they are, they're going to be caught, and I believe they're going to lose that pick. Mark Cuban is also a hypocrite, too, because he was the one that was criticizing the Chicago Bulls for doing it against the Mavericks in the 2018 season, too, and he was the one that was saying, oh, the NBA should stop tanking. Yours was way more obvious than that. The Bulls had a couple plays where they got lazy, but you also did at the end of the game. Did you know they didn't hit the rim on a three-point shot for the final 20 seconds of that game against the Bulls? They airballed one. I think another one hit the top of the glass. Like, does that not present the fact that you're tanking? You're a professional basketball team, and you're a professional owner, and you're a professional basketball coach, Jason Kidd, who is a very well-respected basketball player over the years, Hall of Famer, one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game, and to have your team tank at the end of the season is an absolute embarrassment. The same team that you help win a championship with Dirk Nowinski. So I don't know what the Mavericks are going to do if they are investigated and caught with this, but it puts a smile on a Knicks face because they can get a lottery pick on this. Yeah. And eventually they could trade that lottery pick for Luka Doncic. So who's better than the Knicks? That would be a grateful circle moment if they could pull that off. <laughs> it is really, really funny. I'm not making fun of the Mavericks because I feel bad for the Mavericks. 
Maverick fans, but Mark Cuban looks like the bad guy in this. He wants to be a lone shark instead of a shark on Shark Tank. This is not a good story for the NBA. This is not a good story for the Dallas Mavericks and that organization, and an organization that was really built up by Mark Cuban as a professional, as a guy that a lot of people want to play for, but if you're hearing stories that he has these guys not playing and choking at the end of the season, this is an embarrassment for the NBA and for the Dallas Mavericks. The Knicks move on to the first playoff sighting since the Atlanta Hawks knocked them out in five games. This is so fun. And if you're a Knicks fan, win or lose against the Cleveland Cavaliers, you're excited moving forward what this organization and what this team is going to do. What you've seen Rose and what you've seen Worldwide West do over there with the Knicks in such a short time. We have seen GMs come in, Phil Jackson and all these other guys, and coach after coach after coach come in. It has never worked. In four years' time, you built a young team with good veterans, and the veterans are still in the right prime of their career. You should be happy because with Julius Randle, without Julius Randle, you still have Jalen Brunson, who's only going to be 27 next year. You bring in Josh Hart at the trade deadline, only giving up a first-round draft pick for him. He'll be there for at least another year. Emmanuel Quickly, who could be a star right in front of our eyes. Obi Toppin, R.J. Barrett, Quinton Grimes. And then you put a little sprinkle here with Hartenstein and all these different guys, all these veteran players that are still in the prime of their career. So if you're a Knicks fan, you should be happy. Tom Thibodeau is right now taking this team to the playoffs again after the first year and having that great run in the first year with Julius Randle and COVID-19 winning Coach of the Year. I don't think he wins Coach of the Year this year, but he should be up and nominated for one. Yeah, he absolutely should be a finalist, I think. Mike Brown is going to win in Sacramento because what he did with that team, breaking that 15-year playoff drought and being the three seed in the West. But Tom Thibodeau, in terms of the Eastern Conference, has been the best, most valuable coach for his respective team. Because you look at the teams that finished above the Knicks in the standings, they have the star talent that we expected at the start of the year. The Knicks coming into the year, we thought Jalen Brunson could definitely make an impact. We didn't know how the rest of this team would be able to form. I thought at the start of the year they might have been a play-in team, like an 8 or 9 season, because of how the depth would develop. And this depth has developed very well. Emmanuel quickly, like you're saying, six man of the year worthy. And he's become a more complete player too. He's not just a shooter anymore. He's been able to ball handle. He's essentially become the backup point guard on this team. Derrick Rose has barely played this year. Hasn't played at all. Yeah. And these other wings have really taken over. They're all deep in that area too, and they're all different styles. RJ Barrett can attack the hoop. You got Quentin Grimes, who's a great 3 and D guy. Josh Hart, who's a great defensive player. Good offensive player. And they have a variety of all different types of players, and that's a good way to really build a team. And the Knicks, this is the most complete they've been in a very long time. Yeah, the Knicks had that great 2013 team when Carmelo Anthony won the scoring title, but that team was also older, and there were flaws on them defensively, too, even with... This Red team Mike is Watson. so much better. This team is much more well-rounded, I think, when it comes to the concepts they can bring. The only thing they really lack is depth with the four at that position, because Julius Randle, he plays a lot of minutes, and then off the bench, you got Obi Toppin, but he's kind of undersized, so that worries me in this series against the Cavs. And the fact that Julius Randle's coming off an injury. Julius Randle, will he actually show up in the playoffs, unlike what he did two years ago Mr. against Bricklayer, Atlanta? Yes. Shooting probably under 40% the way he played, and chucking off so many bad shots, mm-hmm. and that cannot happen again against this Cavaliers team that has a very good defense. if they want to win. This Cavs team is very interesting because they have the size up front, but I think the Knicks have better depth when it comes to those wings, and I think the Knicks have a very good size advantage when it comes to their three and two positions in comparison to Cleveland, and I think that's an interesting
interesting area where they could definitely expose against Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, even some of the guys off the bench like Karis LeVert. And then there's the Brooklyn Nets. No more Kyrie Irving, no more Kevin Durant, no more clowns. Ben Simmons sitting on the bench. The clown will not play in this series as he is out for at least this round. Could be out for the rest of the playoffs with his back injury. What you can see what this Brooklyn Nets team has is continuity. A team that's playing for one another. A team that everybody was making fun of after losing Kyrie Irving for practically nothing. Losing Kevin Durant for some pieces, but not enough, I believe. Kyrie Irving is not in the playoffs. Kevin Durant is with a Phoenix Suns team that a lot of people think is one of the favorites to come out of the West, but there's no guarantees because he can't stay healthy. And Ben Simmons, another guy. He is still part of the Brooklyn Nets, but he's injured. So all three players where everybody thought together this year could take the Brooklyn Nets deep into the playoffs, all three players could possibly be out in the first round. And one didn't even make it, by the way. Kyrie Irving didn't even make it. Enjoy the couch. It's funny because I wanted to see the Ben Simmons versus the 76ers revenge store. I think that would have been funny. The Philly fans. I don't know if there's a player in any sport that Philly fans hate more than Ben Simmons with the things he said about Joel Embiid, the way he treated with that organization. So it would have been interesting to see how he played in the playoffs. But I actually think him being out could be a blessing in disguise for the Nets because we saw with the Sixers the last time he was in the playoffs, the Atlanta Hawks, when they played against them, fouled Ben Simmons so much and it really hindered that Sixers team offense. Joel Embiid was good at certain points in that series, but Ben Simmons was shooting free throws and missing a bunch of free throws too. I think the Nets have actually better flow offensively with these other guys that are shooters because of not having Ben Simmons on the court. Well, the hatred of the 76ers and Ben Simmons, we will not get a chance to see on the basketball court, but maybe we'll see Ben Simmons flipping the bird on the other sidelines at Doc (laughs) Rivers or at Joel Embiid or somebody else on that team. James Harden. So maybe we'll get to see some fighting and arguing. At least we'll see some kind of WWE kind of competition because I don't think this is going to be really much of a basketball series. If the Nets could put up somewhat of a fight. It'll be fun to watch, but I think the 76ers are so unevenly matched against this Nets team. They're so much better, and Joel Embiid is going to be an MVP candidate. He's one of the best players in the league. I just don't know how they're going to defend against that. That's going to be the problem. Not the matchup against James Harden or Maxi when he does come back in this series. It's all about Joel Embiid, and they don't have anybody that can defend a powerhouse that talented like Joel Embiid. Right, and Joel Embiid's not just a center that stays inside either. He can pass, he can shoot, he's shot threes at a better rate than we've ever seen him do before. And yes, Nick Claxton is a good center for the Nets, but again, he's not going to just stay inside the whole time either. So Claxton, that's going to take away an element of his game. And the Nets' perimeter defense is not good at all. Even bringing in Mikael Bridges as a good defensive player, it's helped a little bit, but a lot of these guys that are coming off the bench for them, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, not the greatest defensive players going up against those guards. Not just Tyrese Maxey either. It's also DeAnthony Melton, who's a very good backup point guard as well, who's very shifty, could shoot the ball very well too. So as long as James Harden doesn't shoot like 20%, the Sixers should be fine at winning this series. I don't know if they'll do well beyond that because the Sixers really don't have a lot of depth. And like you said, Doc Rivers, not good playoff coach since he's left the Celtics. But he was still, never good there either. Yeah, but playing against the Celtics or the Bucks or even the Knicks or the Cavs down the road, I think it's going to be a tough matchup for the Sixers. Talent over there with the Celtics helped them win a championship. One championship with <laughs> Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. Unbelievable. Bra- and they can brag about getting all those draft picks all they want, which rightfully so. They absolutely fleece the Brooklyn Nets, but they still haven't won a title since then no, either. But they did get Tatum and Brown for it. When we come back, we'll be talking to the new Iona men's basketball head coach, Tobin Anderson, here on the Weekend Crunch. We 
are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouth with me and Speedy Petey every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. If you like great content, you like great guests and great personality and craziness, you should be listening to the Sports Loudmouth every single week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest, a guy that doesn't need an applause, and if you want to give him applause, he deserves it, for what he did against Purdue in the first round of March Madness, one of the greatest upsets in NCAA history. We are now talking to the new Iona men's basketball head coach, Tobin Anderson. Tobin, what's up, man? What's happening? How are you? You're looking good, man. You should be happy. (laughs) Everything's working out for you. Your team makes it to March Madness. Your team made it to the second round. And now you're taking over a basketball team that had one of the greatest coaches in NCAA history. And now a guy that has a chance to take Iona to the Sweet 16 or maybe the Elite Eight. Before we get into that, how are you doing? How are you feeling now that you're the new Iona men's basketball coach? I'm feeling great. It's not stress-free, though. We've been busy with the recruiting and with the portal and with the guys coming and going. You really could enjoy the success of the NCAA tournament because you had to come home and go right back to work. So it's been busy the last couple weeks. It's all good. It's part of the job what you sign up for. And we're making good progress. But before we start talking about these 16s and lead eights, we got to get a team together first. These new transfer portal rules, these instant eligibility rules, how has that changed your coaching philosophy from when you previously been coaching with other teams? It's a whole new world. I was telling somebody that this job four years ago was totally different. Like you'd have to develop players. You come to a job. A lot of times there's seven or eight or nine guys that stay. You bring in three or four and you build a team. Now it's like the whole team leaving got to bring in a whole new team you got to bring in 10 11 guys reality is there's a lot of guys out there because there's 1200 people in the portal so you have to go through a lot of different recruits and it's made this time busier than it used to be it used to be kind of enjoyed the april enjoyed may of a springtime a little bit of time to relax it's not like that at all now it's, it's a little bit crazy so you have to adapt you have to figure it out we're doing that we're excited about it we're selling a good product i own is a great school great tradition and us we just had a great run in the ncaa tournament so they kind of know who we are they know our style of play so it's a lot of good things happening one of the biggest up- upsets in NCAA history was your team, Fairleigh Dickinson, knocking off Purdue. Nobody in their wildest dreams would have thought that your team would have went into that game and knocked off the number one C Purdue the team that is big, they're strong, and they were dominant in the final two weeks of the season. What was it like coaching in that game, and what was it like upsetting one of the best teams in the nation? Such a crazy thing, because we thought before the game there was a good matchup for us. We felt fairly confident we could compete, but competes not win competes like hey stay in the game make it close see what happens and so to actually play as well as we played we are ahead most of the game you know, a lot of times an upset you come back you're down by 12 you come back the last four minutes you make a run hit a bunch of threes we pretty much controlled that game 35 out of those 40 minutes so we played well our guys played great we actually played great the whole tournament so to win that game in front of 20,000 people to beat purdue who won the big 10 by four games was just an unbelievable achievement unbelievable accomplishment and our guys played terrific and yeah it was surreal to have the whole chant after you and have the whole country knowing who we 
were was an awesome experience for our players and couldn't work out any better. Yeah, you actually had the notable thing guaranteeing to win that quote that you had. A lot of people mocked it for a while. What are these guys doing? But how did that fire up your team? How did that fire up your locker room? What were the players' reactions to it? When you're in the tournament, you're not used to having cameras around all the time. That was my locker room speech, but it was not supposed to be in front of the whole country. <laughs> it was not supposed to be in front of the whole media. So I kind of screwed that up a little bit. But we wanted our guys to believe when you're a 16 seed, you're playing on one seat. Part of the challenge is the mental challenge just to believe you belong and you should give a chance to beat them. So our guys, like, we just wanted to make sure they understood, hey, this is a good matchup for us. So this is a chance for us to compete, have a chance to be in this game. And once you're in the game, there's four minutes to go and it's a one possession game or a two possession game. You can win that game. We had to get our guys on board. And I didn't need to say much. They are tough. New York, New Jersey, kids chip <laughs> on their shoulder. They believe they belong. But I think it definitely gave us an edge to us going into that game. We are talking to Iona's new men's basketball coach, Tobin Anderson. Tobin, after what you did in the NCAA tournament and then getting a call by Iona and getting offered the job after Rick Pitino decided to jump ship and go to St. John's, what was it like getting that call? What was it like deciding to take a position like that for a very well-known basketball team? We got home for the tournament. We flew home at like 4 in the morning from Columbus, got home at like 6 in the morning. I was on the Today Show that morning. For some reason, they wanted me on the Today Show, so I went to the Today Show at like 9 in the morning, came home. My kids went to school. My wife went to school. She's a teacher. And I went to sit on the couch, and about the time I sat down for like literally two minutes, the president of Iona texted me and said, hey, let's get this going. Let's get this done. And so within about 15 minutes, I was a new head coach at Iona. So that happened quick. So the funny part was I had to text my wife if something big's happening here, let her know. Then I text my staff and said, we, we got to do an emergency Zoom. Let's get on, get on a Zoom. <laughs> they were all still sleeping because we just got back at six in the morning. So they're all still in bed. Woke them up and said, hey, we're going to Iona. Let's start recruiting. We were excited. I was excited. It's a job that I definitely wanted. job you can do great things at. A lot of tradition, a lot of success. Like, obviously, Patino was there before Patino. A lot of coaches came before him and won a bunch of games, too. So there's a lot of great guys to follow, a lot of tradition. And we're just going to try to keep it going. And, and like you said, let's add on to that tradition and do something special. So the buildup before that game against Purdue, did you reach out to any coaches, maybe coaches that had underdog wins, big upsets? <laughs> in the past like was there any interactions that you had to get there or was it all in-house no we talked to a lot of coaches we talked to coaches who had played Purdue we talked to coaches who kind of knew their personnel pretty well we got some help a little bit from certain people who helped us out as far as the game plan stuff goes like you go back through the season and you watch to see who gave Purdue problems so we knew that teams that put pressure on them that were quicker faster more athletic would give them problems I was on a bus going from Dayton to Columbus I must have made five or six calls and everybody said hey this is a team you can get so we made a lot of calls and I didn't talk to the UMBC guys at all because I was they the first you know, win a 16-1 upset. I did talk to a lot of people who had been in those kind of games. And, you know, the good thing, I come from Division II. We've been in the NCAA tournament for eight straight years. My players have been there for four straight years. So they were used to playing in big games. Now, that's a bigger game than most. But we were kind of used to that kind of environment. We played really well. Tobin, are there any players coming from Fairleigh Dickinson to Iona? A lot of people think you had a very good team and you had a very good recruiting class this past year that made it to the NCAA tournament. Is there any players from your former team that could jump in the portal and go to Iona. None of the players who played this year are coming. So I kind of like, from the standpoint of, we built a great culture at FDU. In 10 months, we built a great family atmosphere. So I'm actually happy those guys are staying at FDU and hopefully they'll keep on winning. And Jack Castleberry, the new coach, is a good friend of mine. He'll keep on winning too. So no, we're not bringing any guys who are current players to Iona. We may bring a couple other guys. So we're trying to start new, starting to start fresh. The guys that came from St. Thomas to FDU, they wanted to come because Division two to Division one jump. Mm -hmm. They're going from D2 to D1. That made a lot of sense. I didn't really want to take 
take a bunch of guys back to you with me to Iona. Let them stay there. Let them keep winning games and we'll build our own thing in Iona. Building the culture over there. You talk about a city culture coming from Rick Patino. What are some of the coaching concepts that you've brought with your team, both with the team culture-wise and the values you emphasize the most? Yeah, so we're big on what culture means. It's being on time. It's being early. It's working hard. It's doing the right thing in the classroom. It's being a good person. Saying please, say thank you. It's diving for loose balls. It's taking charge. <laughs> it's making the extra pass. Playing harder. Being in better shape. Things we talk about on a daily basis. We're going to try to instill that, that same kind of culture at Iona. You got to find guys who are like that. You got to find guys who embody that, who are already tough, hard-nosed competitors. And we'll try to get that across to the whole team. And that's a good thing. We start up again in June with like summer school and summer practices. We'll have a chance to kind of get that going. And I'm looking forward to it. It's fun building a team. It's a challenge. It's hard, but it's also a lot of fun. We are talking to Iona's new men's basketball coach, Tobin Anderson. What is it like going into an offseason and recruiting players? You have to go to different people's houses and talk to their parents. Try to build this team from the bottom to the top. It's a new team. You're going from FDU to now Iona. What is it like going from one school to another school, starting over from the other school? It's hard. The funny thing is because of COVID, like all these Zooms, I've done 50 Zooms the last like four days, like nonstop, like Zoom for half an hour with one recruit and their parents, then for another kid for half an hour, one recruit, just like one after another. So that part's been good. We'll start having kids on campus this weekend, visiting the school, checking things out. It's nonstop. We have to go one after another. But the good thing is we're selling a great product. We're selling a great school. We're selling a great tradition. So there's no shortage of guys who are interested in us. We just got to go out. And I got a great staff. I got coaches who are calling kids nonstop all the time. Our recruiting list right now is probably 200 kids. It's nuts. I bet we've talked to at least 300 kids Wow. since we got the job. So it's just a matter of trying to figure out, get that 300 down to four or five or six or seven in that range. College basketball this year, throughout the year, there was so much parity, not even just yep. the Power Five conferences, but even deeper Group of Five conferences as well. Do you think this is something that is going to last for a while in this game? And what do you think are the biggest reasons for this parity that you're seeing where these powerhouse teams aren't as powerful as they used to be? People thought when the NIL and the transfer portal that the big schools would have more advantages, more power, more of an upper hand. But actually this year, the more the, the mid-majors like Fort Atlantic, us, Furman, San Diego State had better years than a lot of the, the bigger schools. So I think it's a combination of with the portal, more guys are out there. There's more options, you know, more good players. And those players can come from Division Two, They can come from Division Three, They can come from junior colleges. They can be older, younger, the whole thing. So I think the key is any program is doing a good job finding the right guys, do a good job evaluating, and then hopefully those guys can get better, stick around, believe in what you do, and then do special things. I think there's a chance now with more options that there could be a little more parity for the next five to ten years until things change. Tobin, tell us a little bit what you know about the Metro Atlantic Athletic Division. Yeah, so I coached in Seattle for two years as in the league as an assistant for two, so I know the league very well. I watch a lot of games. Our games are always on Friday nights and Sunday afternoons. Those are good days for me to watch <laughs> games. So I've, I've watched a ton of games. Great league. Unbelievable league. It's a league that I love. There's a lot of parity. Very good coach. Coaches, excellent coaches. The games are played fairly fast. It's more of an up-tempo league than some other leagues. So it's kind of like a transition, fast-breaking, more aggressive attacking kind of league. It kind of suits us, I think, a little bit, which is good. But Siena's always been good. Fairfield's always been good. St. Peter's had a great run. You got Ryder. Manhattan's had a good run. A lot of schools that have been in there that have been very competitive for a while. Niagara's done a good job the last couple of years. Quinnipiac's had a lot of good players, good coaches. So mm-hmm. it's a very even, competitive, tough league. You're playing in hostile environments. You're not usually playing in arenas. You're playing in 
smaller venues, which are packed with tough places to play. So I think it's going to be like most years next year, be, be wide open and a great league. The team that knocked you out in the next round in Florida Atlantic, they made a final four run. So did you see anything in that game that you could say, wow, this team could actually make noise even deeper in the tournament? Yeah, I was impressed. They're a very good team. They should have won the final four game. They're ahead of San Diego State the mm-hmm. whole game. Lost the buzzer. They were really good. Really well coached. Tough dudes. Like hard-nosed kids played hard. A lot of weapons. A lot of guys that could play. Like they went nine deep. We go nine deep too. They were just a little bit deeper, a little bit better, a little bit stronger than us. But I was very impressed. Dusty Mays, a coach here. He built them into a great program. And I thought they had a chance to win the whole thing. I thought if they could get by San Diego State, they could have given UConn a good game just because they have unbelievable confidence. They play with a chip on their shoulder. And I think the thing about them is that most of those guys are back for next year. So you start putting together predictions for next year, they're definitely going to be a top five, top 10 team because they're all coming back and they're very good. They were not a fluke. After they beat us, we actually played them really tough. We had a chance to win that game. But then after us, they beat Tennessee and Kansas State, those SEC team and a Big 12 team. So they're a legitimate program and doing a great job. We are talking to Iona's new men's basketball coach, Tobin Anderson. Could you tell our fans a little bit behind the scenes of your team at FDU, some of the different personalities in the locker room, and tell us a little bit about some of the players. You had some really good players on your team. Is there anything that really stood out this season from all the other seasons and maybe one of the players that really stood out to you the most? Our point guard, who I coached at St. Thomas Aquinas, I brought him with me to FDU, Dimitri Roberts. He was the best player on the floor against Purdue. He's the best player on the floor against Texas Southern. He's the best against Florida Atlantic. Him and the kid, number one for them, the really good wing. The best two players on the floor. He comes from Mount Vernon High School in New York City, one of the best high schools in the country. He had no Division One offers, had no Division Two offers. We took him to St. Thomas, played four years for us, scored 1,500 points, goes to FDU for one year, ends up being first team all-conference and had a great year. And he's just the hardest working, best competitor I've ever been around. Just a tough-nosed, hard-nosed guy. He was great. His backcourt mate, Grant Singleton, was our two-guard that could really shoot it, could score. He's from South Carolina. Same thing. He had no Division One offers and no Division Two offers. So our backcourt, who ended up being the best two guards on the floor most nights, had a combined zero scholarship offers. Wow. So pretty impressive. Then we had a kid, Ansley Almanor, who's going to stay there. He's a junior next year. He averaged four points a game as a sophomore. Went from four points as a freshman to 15 points a game as a sophomore. They won four games the prior year. So it's the biggest Division One turnaround in college basketball history. From four wins to 21 wins. Is it tied with Towson State for the biggest turnaround in history? So we're pretty proud of that because that took a lot of work from a lot of guys, a lot of sacrifices, and our guys got better, and it was a magical year. So do you guys have any pre- or post-game traditions and or rituals you do? Yeah, we like to play ping-pong, our staff. So we're a big ping-pong. I mean, I don't know oh, how you guys are ping-pong. Like, I am a ping-pong ping. player. We love ping-pong. So we would play as a staff after every shooter. We had like a round-robin going on. So I was pretty good for a while. Then Tom Monica, my assistant, became pretty good. If you play ping-pong every day, mm-hmm. you can get pretty good at it. So that was like one of our big things, like a stress reliever we play ping pong and sometimes I tell my wife I was working late we're playing ping pong for an extra hour we love doing that our players love playing ping pong too and then our guys are crazy they love doing all the tiktoks and doing all the stuff in the locker room and the craziness that they do and so we kind of embrace that a little bit and like as a staff we were funny we wore the exact same clothes for all three instances wow. tournament mm-hmm. games. we tell people we're not superstitious but we are a little bit stitious we were like washing our clothes every night making sure that they're all clean to go so we're in the same clothes every game we're a little bit like anybody's we're a little bit crazy but we believe what we do you're definitely an interesting coach that's for sure sure. <laughs> and we would love to come down as the season moves forward, the offseason into the regular season. Yep. We would love to come down and interview some of the players and some of your coaches. We would love to do that if you would let us. Let's do it. That sounds great. Love to have you. It'd be great. Is there one thing all season long that stood out to you the most? Take away the Purdue game. Take away anything with the NCAA tournament. What stood out to you in this great season with FDU? I thought the most fun thing was taking a program where like the first game of the year at home, there might have been 40 people there. 
And then the next game we won, might have got up to 60, and then we're probably, we probably crossed 100 about game three or game four. We played the conference semifinals to go to the NCAA tournament. That place was jam-packed. There was no room at all. Every student was there. The community came out. To watch that happen was pretty special because the year started, everybody's like, we were predicted to win like six games, seven games. To go from six or seven games just to make the NCAA tournament was pretty awesome. And just to see our community and all the fans, all the students rally around and buy t-shirts. And the NCAA tournament, they sold out of FDU t-shirts. Wow. The NCAA wow. makes t-shirts for each team. Michigan State's got some. Marquette's got some. Wisconsin's got some. They sold out of FDU t-shirts. <laughs> the first day, then they got more. The next day, they sold out of those same shirts. So it was pretty awesome to watch the whole country who had no idea who FDU was. The week that started, all of a sudden, the whole place is chanting FDU and buying t-shirts and going crazy. And I laughed because I went out there for the game and people wanted selfies. And I'm like, well, who the hell wanted a selfie with me <laughs> last week? My kids didn't want to be in the pictures with me. All of a sudden, we're going out there and I got random fans doing selfies and things like that. So it was pretty wild. My friend wanted me to tell you that because your team's upset against Purdue, he won $10,000. So he wanted me to thank you for knocking off Purdue because everybody knew that they were going to choke, but nobody would have thought in their wildest dreams they were going to choke against a 16 seat. So he thanks you for the 10K. So he can buy me lunch sometime. We actually have two of your players from Fairleigh Dickinson on our show, Sean Moore and Braden Reynolds with their personalities. Oh, they're two of our best ones. They're unbelievable. Sean Moore's nickname is Fuzz. He's from Ohio. He played great in the tournament too. He's awesome. And Braden's a great kid too. Braden was a walk on. They're incredible. They're two of the best kids of all time. They play great and they have no fear. They're both funny. Sean Moore can do a great imitations of the whole team, including myself. He's always busting my chops. Well, Tobin, we really appreciate your time. Keep up the good work. We would love to come up there and interview some of the players and see the growth of Iona basketball move forward. It's great. It's a great community over there and keep yeah. up the good work, bud. Awesome, man. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you having me on. Come over to our place. It's a great taco place across the street. We'll go get tacos. It'll be fantastic. On me. On me. Friend who won ten thousand dollars, you can buy the tacos. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think he'd have a problem with that. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate Thank you. It. The great Tobin Anderson. He was fantastic. Great get, and he is a wonderful, wonderful personality. Yeah, one of my favorite interviews we've done, especially a lot of these coaches too. He really has great personality. He was talking about it with his hype in the locker room before that game, even on campus. Great guy with his players too. He had a couple of his players on earlier in the week on the Sports Loudmouth, Sean Moore and Braden Reynolds as well, who were fantastic. But really, just a great story what he did with Fairleigh Dickinson this tournament. Only the second number 16 seed to ever win an NCAA tournament game and did it against Purdue when they were the smallest team in the nation. And Purdue was one of the biggest with Zach Eady, a seven footer. So fantastic. It was absolutely amazing. Well deserved by Tobin Anderson to get that job at Iona, taking over a very respected head coach in Rick Pitino that heads over there, St. Johnny's. Yes, the St. Johnny's have a new coach in Rick Pitino. So it'll be fun to watch Iona and Tobin Anderson move forward with that program and then Mr. Rick Pitino moving forward with the Johnnies. So it'll be fun. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some NFL as Odell Beckham Jr. signs, not with the Jets, with the Baltimore Ravens. What does that tell me about Lamar Jackson? And where does Lamar Jackson head? I think he's going back to Baltimore. Saquon Barkley will not report to the Giants' mandatory workouts next week. I will tell you why this is not good news for the Giant fans when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our stories throughout the week that we post. Check out all our shows 
Christ. They are live and in color on all the social media markets. Go to the menu key and you can check out all the times and our shows set up in days and hours of the week. And ladies and gentlemen, listen to the Sports Loud Mouths every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. with me and Speedy Petey. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Odell Beckham saga is over as Odell Beckham signs with the Ravens. One year worth up to $18 million. The contract consists of a signing bonus of $13.83 million and a base salary of just $1.165 million. Odell can earn up to $3 million in incentives as well. SNY's Connor Hughes reports that Odell gave the Jets a chance to match the offer, but Joe Douglas did not want to do it. Hughes also mentioned that the Giants still had interest as well, but they didn't want to spend that kind of money this offseason on a wide receiver. Lamar Jackson expressed a positive reaction on his Instagram post when it came to to Odell signing. Odell is entering his 10th season 30 years old and is coming off a torn ACL that he suffered in Super Bowl 56. If this isn't news to you, Lamar Jackson fans, I don't know what it is. What does this tell me? Lamar Jackson wanted an elite and great wide receiver. And now he's got one. The whole point of bringing in Odell Beckham and winning Odell Beckham from the New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers was to con Lamar Jackson into staying with the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens believed that even if he got the contract that he wanted, that extension and that guaranteed money, that if it was anywhere close to the money he's looking for, he would leave the Baltimore Ravens. Now, it gives him an incentive to stay with the Baltimore Ravens. Because now he's got a weapon. Not just Mark Andrews, but now he has Odell Beckham. They're going to go into the first round of the draft, and they're going to find a second wide receiver. Then you have Bateman, and we don't know if Bateman's going to stay healthy. But heck, if Bateman stays healthy, you have Odell Beckham, and you draft another guy and Mark Andrews, you went from a team that had no weapons offensively to a team that has multiple weapons all over the field. And again, the Ravens really needed to make that play to get Lamar Jackson happy again because of the strained relationship they've really had for the last probably three months of the season. He didn't play in the playoff game, trying to protect his body after all the injuries he suffered the last two years. And there was the rumor a couple weeks ago that he said he requested the trade on March 2nd. So they had to find a way to make him happy. And while I don't think Odell is the only thing they have to do, it's definitely a start. Now, all this contract is good because it's incentive-based and can be up to $18 million, but it's not going to be forced against their cap the way they did it. The Ravens would have had to do a lot more maneuvering with their own cap because they only had $6 million last week, and they would have had to do it a lot more to get a one-year your deal for Odell that wasn't incentive-based, but it's a good move for the Ravens in order to keep Lamar Jackson happy where they could get the contract going soon because they're going to have to find ways to get him other weapons too because Mark Andrews is a great tight end. Yes, they drafted some good tight ends last year, but they still have a lot of holes with the rest of their receiving core and their running backs as well if they can't stay healthy. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins is probably not coming back next year, and they're going to probably look for a running back in this year's draft, and that's what everybody keeps saying. You can find running backs in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth round. You don't need to sign any veteran running backs. I beg to differ. If that running back fits your offense, then you should sign him, especially if he's a big part of your offense. That streams me into this New York Giants situation. After hearing Saquon Barkley will not report to the Giants' mandatory workouts next week, this is alarming to me. 
If you're a Giant fan, and there are tons of Giant fans that were not happy in giving Daniel Jones that extension and giving Saquon Barkley a franchise tag to any Giant fan shows that you have no full respect for the running back and what he did this year as a top three running back in the league. His numbers sell itself. He is everything to their offense. Dable actually ran 80% of his offense through Saquon Barkley. And you're giving Daniel Jones because one season, I understand his one season was fantastic. 3,000 yards, 700 yards running. He stayed practically healthy. His fumbles are washed away. He doesn't throw as many interceptions. But if it wasn't for Saquon Barkley and him running as much as he did this year, well, then they would have thrown more. And if they threw more, guess what? Daniel Jones might not have the numbers he had this year. And he might have not got that $40 million a year offer from the New York Giants. Yeah, he definitely would have had the rushing yards because Saquon Barkley, the way he runs up the middle and even in exotic running schemes up the middle too, with a lot of the concepts Dable brought in, Daniel Jones would not have been able to run to the outside the way he did this season. Now, he could have still had probably 400 yards or something like that because his instincts didn't do very well last year and Dable did do a good job with the designed runs, but still, you'd need a guy that's going to be able to take pressure off the defense and be able to spread the other guys out. And that's why Daniel Jones was able to strive in games where teams tried to take away Saquon. Now, if the Giants do end up trying to move Saquon, they're going to have to do a better job at getting these other skill players going because you're banking a lot of receivers that have a lot of question marks right now. Yes, they traded for Darren Waller. Nice trade if he stays healthy. Only had to give up a third round pick, a compensation pick. Fine. But Darren Waller has to stay healthy and these other receivers have to stay healthy too. They had three different guys that were out for the season last year. An unknown and older guy in Sterling Shepard who's really just a slot guy. Wandell Robinson, he's a smaller guy. Is he going to be the same off that kind of injury? too. And if the Giants do get extra draft picks for Saquon, if they do end up trading for them, they better draft a wide receiver, maybe even two wide receivers because they need guys to take pressure off of Daniel Jones and take pressure off of Darren Waller and Saquon Barkley even amounted for a lot of the receiving yards that the Giants had last year. I think he was third on the team in receiving, so he presents that element too. I know the Giants don't want to sign him for a $14 million contract, which I get it. You definitely could find another way to make it work with somebody like Saquon, either a shorter contract or making it more guaranteed money but less total money. The New York Giants made a big mistake not giving an extension to Dexter Lawrence, and they will. They're going to extend Dexter Lawrence, but this whole Saquon Barkley thing, if I was Saquon, I wouldn't want to play this year. And even if they agree to something going into this season where they give him a little bit more of a boost in incentives and he gets his $14 million, if I was Saquon Barkley, why would I come back here next year at the age of 27 going on 28 when I could go somewhere else and have a better chance of winning a Super Bowl? So if I was Saquon Barkley, I wouldn't stay here. I would move on even if he gets incentives and the Giants make him happy moving forward to go and play this season with Daniel Jones and that team, which probably a better offensive team, a better team with the NFC being as weak as it is, where they can make another run in the playoffs. And again, you also look at a case where the Giants are not just that running back away, where a lot of these teams that if Saquon Barkley were to hit the open market or the Giants were to trade him, might be in that situation. You look at a team like the Bills, which I know you've mentioned last year too, with the connections with the Bills and Joe Shane and Brian Dable. Miami was another team that was definitely linked to them. We saw the Bears that were linked to them in the offseason too, so if they're good at the trade deadline with all the acquisitions they made and all the draft stock they have, maybe they're interested, but the Giants are setting the bar really at that $12 million they offered him in October, and it doesn't seem like Joe Shane is budging from that, so if you're a Giants fan, I would not be optimistic about Saquon Barkley coming back, and if that's the case, they better hope they get good value out of it, otherwise it's going to be very hard to build up these skilled players around Daniel Jones, which means you're going to have the same problem you had 2019 and 2020 at the beginning of Jones' career. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into Chaz! We will get into Money Line Mania here on the Weekend Crunch. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Arrow Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all the shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths with me and Speedy Petey that airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. If you like great guests and great content, listen to the Sports Loudmouths in the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every single week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we call this segment, as always, Money Line Mania. This is Money Line Mania, which has the crew. Chazzy, 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 how is your week going, my friend? Yeah, so I am solo this week, but for me, guys, it really is kind of just getting back into it. The Easter break is nice. You know, I'm selling football, so that's keeping me busy. But I still talk to the guys every single day. Actually, it's funny because John from GMF Sports is in Vegas, and I'm in San Diego. But Wes is in Kansas City, so that is central time zone. So we make fun of it, but there's some mornings. That dude's up at 4 o'clock in the morning our time because he goes to work early. He's an executive chef. Chef's tend to go to work early. It's kind of funny that I wake up at like 7 o'clock and I've got a text that says first half over 104 and a half or something. He just throws things out there. He's been on a roll. Six and one in the last couple of days. Three days, maybe. He has the Rangers. Did he actually tell us who he's going with in this NBA bracket? I know he mentioned the Warriors' future he has again, too. So right. I don't know if he specified if they were winning game one, but I'm sure he has them winning the series. He did make his debut on the Sports Loudmouth's new betting segment called Let's Parlay, in which he had the Knicks covering game one earlier, and then he also had the Blackhawks' money line in the final game for Jonathan Taves on Thursday night, and he had the Celtics money line. He scored a goal. Yes. Blackhawk was this guy that he's a big fan of because he's a Chicago yes. institution for hockey. And you know, back there, hockey is a different world than it is out here. I mean, the bottom line is I'm San Diego. They'll talk more soccer than they will hockey. But look at Quinnipiac, right? Yeah. When I was in Connecticut, that's where I stayed. My brother's works for Quinnipiac. Yep, my brother just graduated. So I was not, right. My sister is a UConn and her husband's Quinnipiac. They had a pretty good week, huh? Hey, Think about it. Married couple going to two schools in Connecticut, winning the national championship in the same week. Hey, you know what? I don't know if they would have gave you odds if you tried to bet that somewhere. I don't know if they have the same state parlays, but yes, it was right, exactly. definitely a parade-worthy year for him. FanDuel's pretty good, though. If anybody can do it, FanDuel can do it. But yeah, so let's look at tomorrow's games because the one I really want to talk about is the Suns because that's who I think was the best team in terms of the odds. they got Golden State 325, Phoenix 175. So yeah, Phoenix is the team. So let's do this. Let's talk about the two West games tomorrow because the Lakers, I don't know how they held on because they were giving that game away. And then the Suns are the favorite team, right, in the West. Milwaukee and the East. John GMF had said Golden State and Milwaukee. But did you get a chance to watch that Laker game? Oh my God, it was just ugly, ugly basketball. The bottom line is I'm betting against them. I saw them win that game. They won the game. They didn't cover though, because I think they were giving eight and a half. They won by six, but Wes had him in live action. Wes had him at like four and a half or three and a half, and it didn't look good, right? With a minute left, it didn't look like that team was going to cover four and a half, and they did. So good for him. The Lakers have underperformed 
the entire year. There are seven, and there are seven that had a play-in. And though Memphis hasn't really been covering at the end, what do we notice? Teams are getting fined. You can't count the last couple weeks of the season. It was like these teams were just playing with our heads. Imagine people that were betting on those games. That had to be brutal because it was obvious that they were just playing to do what they needed to do. The survival of the fittest, right? You got to do what you do to take care of yourself, right? But if it crosses those moral and ethical boundaries, how many dollars did they get fined? The Mavericks wow. got fined $750,000 for their uh, charges. Yeah. Three quarters of a million dollars. The other aspect, you talk about moral and ethical values. How focused is John Morant in this series? I think that he blew it. The talent is incredible. I think he's going to be fine. I like Memphis, but I'm talking about tomorrow's game. I just like uh, Memphis giving three and a half. I think they're going to dominate. What I'm looking at is I'm paying attention mostly to what's happening. You've heard me say this before. Wake me up when there's four teams. I can watch XFL football, but I really don't want to watch a two versus a seven in the hockey or basketball. But from a betting standpoint, there will be a lot of opportunities to bet. And one of the things I mentioned that we do a lot, we sit around and wait for one of these teams that's given seven points. Phoenix is given seven points. I have no problem betting Phoenix early and then seeing if they get down by seven points and the next thing I know, I'm getting them minus a half. I'll wager all that I have wagered already on the game, doubling down. But all of a sudden now, they get a three or four point lead. And if you're chasing that seven that you've laid in the beginning, you're sweating wet bullets and I'm looking like I'm going to get my money back and break even. Golly gee, if you could watch a game, bet on it, and get all your money back, not win any, but at least get your money back. It's like a free bet. I, I don't have any problem with that. That's why that live action is so good. But I really think Phoenix is the best team. So the question is, how do you bet that game, though? The Clippers were scoring points and letting up points at the end of the season. And Phoenix, they had a clinch. They've been undefeated since but, Kevin Durant has played, but he just came back. Right. But they weren't going to catch anybody. They weren't catching anybody above them. No, not once Durant got hurt. They had a chance with the Kings right. and the Grizzlies before that. It was always the Grizzlies and the Kings that were two and three for a while, and they just kept flip-flopping. Those are names you just didn't see ever recently up there. I mean, when was the last time Denver was a number one seed? Not in my lifetime. Denver exactly. was two four years ago. They lost against the Blazers when they were a three seed. And then the last time the Kings were even in the playoffs was 2006. I really think that this whole series, I think it's going to be just West basketball. This could be West basketball. I don't have confidence that that first game, the Lakers went Memphis, could be West basketball. But this is screaming that 127-123 kind of finish. They go over the over with like eight minutes to go in the game. That seven points is a lot of points. I like the over here. So that's going to be my parlay tomorrow. I'm going to go with Memphis, and I'm going to go with the over. And I always sprinkle a little, too. So I'll probably go with a four-teamer, Memphis in the over and Phoenix in the over, just because if it does come in and I liked it and I didn't have it, I feel like an idiot. But, you know, if you throw 20 bucks on that, PD, it's $200. I've had those days. I've had those days where I threw just a little bit of money out there. Holy cow, the next thing you know, I'm cashing out. Yeah, you mentioned the defenses in the Western Conference in particular, too. The Warriors-Kings one is another one that has definitely a lot of over-potential playing their first game very soon. And yeah. Clippers and the Suns, like Kevin Durant's still coming back. I think the Suns can be good defensively, too. But the Clippers have been kind of iffy defensively since Paul George has been hurt, too. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of over-potential in that. I think once Durant gets set in more. Chris Paul gets a little healthier too. And then I think you'll see the Suns play better defense down the road. But I do think they'll win that series relatively quickly. But I, you're right. I like the overs in the beginning of that series. Too. Well, and the other aspect of it is, you know, seven points is a lot 
but when Phoenix is playing well or Golden State's playing well or any of those teams that know how to win are playing well, they win by 14. And again, which Clippers team is going to show up with the depth is the other question, too, because yep. I don't think Ty Lue is a great coach, but I do think they did the trade deadline moves well, too. But I think the Suns' depth, everyone's saying, okay, they traded so much to get Durant. I don't think they really lost as much as they think, though, because Landry Shamit, campaign, those are still guys that are good, capable bench guards, too. And I think with DeAndre Ayton now kind of not having to do as much, he could be his role a lot more, too, with Durant there. Crunch time, you're only having five guys on the court. As long as one of your top five are there, you're in good shape. The NHL playoffs, you guys made fun of that Rangers selection. The bottom line is they're as good as any team if they play well and they get the pipes, right? It's all about the goalie. Really As a Ranger is. fan, for me, it's all about if they can win at least a decent amount of face-offs because that's always been their weakness in years past. And also their forwards playing defense. Guys like Panarin and Kane that have struggled defensively at certain points in their career. If they could do those things, they could definitely beat anybody because their talent on paper is so deep in every aspect, really besides the center position. This coming in for the next six weeks, we'll be talking a lot of hockey there for sure. Wes is good right, juju. Else? Bring it to the Rangers. Yeah, there you go. Wes has done well recently with the picks. We talked about Major League Baseball, and one of the things that I talked about was that John is doing the series. So John from Dreamer Sports, what do you guys think? If you like the series, who are the Yankees playing? Twins. He likes twins to win the series. He'll tell you to bet him the first game. If they lose, you double down and you bet him for twice those units the second game. And as soon as they win a game, you're done. And he's done really well. He started the season like 8-0. So he's only bet the game if they win. But then if they lose, the problem is if it's a four-game series and you're a $100 player, they'll take a genius to do the math. You could have $400 on the twins, right? Every team goes through streaks where they get swept four games. It does happen. And so now you went from losing 100 to losing 200 more to losing 400 more to losing 800 more and that's a tough hit. That's that Martingale kind of philosophy that people have with casinos with red and black. Always Just bet on black. Double down. Yeah, and double down and double down and double down. It only works you have unlimited money and then you're only winning one. You get to the point where you're winning that second game doubling down. He just won one game. So I'm going to be paying attention to his but you know what I do? I, I like finding pitchers guys early in the season that are just not giving up a lot of runs and I just bet him in the first five innings. And sure, sometimes you're laying a lot of juice for those. The Dodger guys minus 170. Padre guys minus 170. The Met guys, he's at Oakland, is minus 225. So we'll use minus 225 as an example. You got to lay $225 to win 100. But what you got is twice through the lineup. That's it. He's only got to get these guys out twice, right? Because of the fact that they had to get him into the fifth inning. So what happens is, we've seen games open up the second time around the lineup. But these guys that are good, that doesn't come until the fourth or fifth inning. All they need is a run or two. So you're up 2 nothing going into the fifth. It's a pretty nice spot to be. And then you get to change the channel or go to another stream. Whatever you want to do to watch something else, because you've already cashed. I'm just so sick of the pitcher that this manager put in to replace the pitcher that I had gives up a home run out of the bullpen or hits a guy or walks a guy. And I'm thinking, my pitcher could have done that. He could have hit a guy. Just let him in there and hit a guy. It'll be interesting to see how John goes forward. That was in the past, right? That's what got you through something, Major League Baseball. Does he have any system plays based on a lot of these new rule changes we've seen? Because we've definitely seen some veteran pitchers struggle with the pitch clock to start. He has been paying attention, especially with the over and unders. It was less of the pitchers themselves 
and the teams and the sides, but it was mostly impacting the total. He had quite a few, but we had talked about days where it was seven and two in the first nine games with the over. One of the things with baseball is that it got us through the summer, but nowadays we're getting football. So we got XFL, which is three weeks away from ending, two weeks of playoffs. Then right into the USFL that started today. I didn't even know their names. So tomorrow we've got the Michigan Panthers at the Houston Gamblers. They're getting a point. And then Pittsburgh Maulers at New Orleans Breakers. So let's look at these. we got eight names. We're going to look at them. Stars, Philadelphia Stars. Yeah, duh, that's a good one. Memphis Showboats. I love that name. That's a great name for Memphis, right? New Jersey Generals. I don't know why you got to bring war into it. Birmingham Stallions. Can't go wrong with a horse. Michigan Panthers. Again, it's an animal. Houston Gamblers. I don't know why you got to do that. First of all, I think it was used already once. And the bottom line is, the last thing you want to do is insinuate that your football team is gambling because that's not good if you're betting on them. Now you got Pittsburgh Maulers. I don't know. Isn't that a little aggressive? Maulers? Mauling isn't good. Did you ever hear, oh, we mauled them and it was a good thing for the people being mauled? And the New Orleans Breakers, I like that. None of those, I think, are the line. It's hard to come up with a nickname for a team that isn't an animal. So the Stars is great. Showboats, I love them. And Breakers, I like the Breakers. Even though New Orleans Breakers, I don't know, seems like it should be Rhode Island Breakers. Providence Breakers. My friend in college, when New Orleans was originally changing their basketball team name, we were advocating for New Orleans Voodoo. That would be a good fit because I did a little tour when I was in New Orleans of some Voodoo stuff. So then we go right from USFL then we'll start CFL in the summer. Then we'll be going college football before you know it. So this is going to help me. I used to make fun of these leagues, but they're perfect for my easy sports dating because I could do these four games, eight teams, and maybe 15 minutes. I could put in every point spread from every half, every result for the game, everything, and boom, and I'm done. Whereas college, I'm just starting. And with the pros, it takes probably a couple hours. But again, four times as many teams. One of the main reasons I set the end of the auction for Sunday, April 30th, it's the last Sunday before the Kentucky Derby. That allows my visit here with you guys on Saturday night to remind people that they can have half of my investment on verifying because John was kind enough to put two tickets in for me. And then could this horse win? Of course the horse can win. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find the price point where someone says, I'll buy that ticket off of you, and then I'm guaranteed a winner. I did it with Villanova. And this is two out of three now, so didn't go so well with my Aztecs. Either way with the Aztecs, it would have been a fun run. I looked right at him when I was at the machine pushing the buttons, and I just couldn't do it because I liked Alabama so much. It was pretty horse-heavy there. This last five weeks, I think there were prep races four of the five weeks. I do the same thing with the Derby every year. I only look at the four races. I look at the four races that lead up to the Derby and that pick four, and that's what I do. I try to hit four of them. This week, I missed the first one, but then I hit the last three, so I hit the pick three. They hit the daily double for the last two, and of course, my horse ran second. And it was the two best horses. They were five lengths ahead of the horse of third, but we had the horse of third as well, so we hit the trifecta, so that worked out well. But so let's look at some Sunday morning football, because for me, it is. It's 9 o'clock tomorrow so that's noon for you. You could have half a day of work in by noon. It is Arlington at D.C. And so I made some quick notes for Arlington. I wrote, Arlington sucks. It was really the easiest way to tell you what I've seen with the data. They just are terrible. But D.C.'s given a crap load of points. D.C.'s given eight and a half. And when you look at D.C., here's what you see. For this season, they played eight games. They won seven of them against the spread. For this season, they played eight games. Seven of them went over. For the season, they played eight games. And if you bet that D.C. would cover and the game would go over, you won six 
out of eight. So you were 75%. But that's not on a strike. That's on a parlay. So if you had done that, right, if you had made all 24 of those wagers, you would have won 20. You've gone 20 and four. And on a third of them, you were getting two and a half times your money back. So that's kind of stuff that I won't bet against. I don't care how much like the points i'm betting dc in the over that's kind of how that works and then there's another game noon in my time but it is of course three o'clock your time seattle at st louis and this one here seattle scoring but st louis isn't allowing but st louis is seven and one in the second half so we're gonna do that we're gonna bet that this game's gonna go over and we're gonna wait to the second half and bet on St. Louis. And it's so funny because I am advocating to you that you're going to bet the second half no matter what happens in the first half. That's how I'm playing this. You got to pay attention. If the quarterback breaks his arm or something, well, you know what? Then it's really up to you. We're assuming everything is playing the same. Now, why do you think it is that second half team could be so much better in the first half? Well, second half is all about adjustments. And if you don't know how to adjust, it's very hard for you to win games. That's why coaching matters. It really is. It's 100% who's ever in that locker room, right? Because it's the same players. It's the same everything. But you had now 20 minutes, whatever they get. In the XFL, they may have to go and sell the hot dogs at halftime. There's not that many people in the stands. But the bottom line, it is that you're 100% right. It is coaching. And that's why I think those second half points. Remember, that's where that second half chast thing came from. I could not find these second half point spreads. And I looked for them, I looked for them, and I looked for them because I was noticing the stuff was happening. And finally, I just created my own database. And that is the Easy Sports Data program that was out. And that is something that has really cashed me a lot of tickets over the years. But it really is cool. The logo from my company, which is called Second M Chat Productions, is the box score from the Chargers-Broncos game. The year that we started with the date. What had happened is my son's a Bronco fan. I actually got him a John Elway signed Denver Bronco Championship Footballs.com souvenir football when they won because some lady needed she called me she was like an executive assistant for somebody who was getting assigned and i sent her an extra one and paid for her to ship it back and she did it and it was 17 nothing 24 nothing something like that the chargers at halftime and we went upstairs and my son was pissed so my wife so i was sitting on the couch with my wife and my son and i had bet the chargers in the first half and i was betting the broncos in the second half and the chargers just dominated and they shut them out and so we're laughing we go upstairs and all of a sudden Denver mouth at that point it was the biggest comeback ever or the most teams that shut each other out but anyway they ended up doing the same thing to the Chargers but only by more so they won the game and the whole time we're upstairs in our bedroom and my kid is downstairs just screaming up a storm as your team's making a comeback because he had better for the game I only had it for the second half but that was when I knew this data was special because I just won two bats on two different teams in the same game they both were shutouts they were both the easiest wins you could ever have so i went in and i had my art guy take the box score just off the internet and make it into a logo teach has all good things start with the chargers blowing the beat that's right so that's kind of it for me the horses were so excited i tell people the money aspect of gambling is really a big part of it but for me the stress and tommy got us thrown out of mexico once how do you get Ooh. thrown out of caliente what do you gotta do 
So you get thrown out of a country like Mexico. Be part of a drug ring. Exactly. You got pissed because I'll never forget it. We had the lead. We had the ball. The game was over. There's like eight seconds left. The guard is on the right side of the court. He throws a lazy pass to the guard on the left side of the court. The other team intercepts it, throws up a three at the buzzer. It goes in. We lose. That had nothing to do with the points. This game was not going to be won by them. It was just the point spread. And he went ballistic. There's no reason to lose it because you lost a bet. It's gambling. You're betting on human beings. I mean, it's the same thing with horses. Sometimes the best horse on paper doesn't win the race. It's gambling. Deal with it. I like easy wins, but I also like to really enjoy the wait. I bet on Verified. Thanks to John from JMF Sports on November 4, 2022. with the best 40 I've invested in a long-ass time. It is truly Yep, yep, no doubt about it. Next week, I guess, when we talk, we'll know a little bit more about the USFL. We'll have our hockey playoffs starting, and I think by then, I know I'll be betting NBA. I think Wes dabbled in some of these playing games. I'm watching from the sidelines for at least the first few days. All right, thank you for joining us, Chaz. Yeah, guys, always be cashing. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the great Chaz, as always, give you winners. And if you haven't checked out this segment throughout the week, shame on you with Chaz and what he does and how he does it. If you guys want to make money, you have to listen to this segment every single week. It gives you winners, and it makes you money. So if you're a betting man, you should be listening to this segment and this show every single week. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? A little baseball. And then some crunch time here on the weekend crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths, which always airs on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. If you like to listen to great content, you like to laugh, and you like to see and hear great guests come on a show, on a sports radio show, they like to have fun with us, you should be listening to the Sports Loudmouths every single Wednesdays and Thursdays. Before we get into crunch time, I could say one thing about this Max Scherzer story. He actually spoke to the press over the week and said that the pitch clock has affected him as the start of the season is a little slow for him because of the time clock. I will tell you this. It's getting slow because he's old. I'm just speaking the truth, guys. Max Scherzer has been a shell of himself since he was traded to the Dodgers. He has not been the same player from his dominance in Washington. All those years in Washington and the way he pitched, this isn't the same Max Scherzer. He's a good pitcher. He could still pitch. He's still a quality pitcher, but he's not an elite pitcher. He's not a top five pitcher. I loved before the season started when I saw MLB Network rate the top 10 pitchers in the major leagues and they put Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer in the top four. I thought they were out of their minds. Maybe three years ago or four years ago, they're not the same pitchers they once were. And yes, I know Justin Verlander just won a Cy Young with the Astros. The Astros still had a rotation of youth, talented young pitchers, and Justin Verlander. And when you're an older pitcher and you're playing with a bunch of phenoms, 
in that rotation, there are more teams worried about them than they are of you. And I'm not saying that he didn't deserve his Cy Young last year. I'm not saying that Justin Verlander is still not a great pitcher. He's a fantastic pitcher. But is he the same pitcher that everybody remembers in Detroit? Is he the same pitcher that everybody remembers when he was traded to the Astros? The answer is no. And again, he might have to change something mechanically too to be able to try to adjust to the pitch clock. I'm not saying to try to change his whole style of pitching because I don't think he's lost anything when it comes to velocity or his spin rate on his breaking balls, his curveball that is still very good for a while. But he definitely could take a toll for a pitcher that for 15 years in the league was used to pitching one style. And now at 39 years old, trying to adjust to this pitch clock that is definitely a lot faster, even faster with runners on base too, is definitely a thing. Now, most of Max Scherzer's problems this year have come with allowing a lot of home runs. It's not as much as allowing base runners and trying to churn in these tough I think he's just trying to find an excuse. It has nothing to do with the pitch clock. And for anybody to come out and say, well, I'm not used to the pitch clock. Well, guess what? You're a professional baseball player. You're making a lot of money. Because you're not holding the ball for an extra three or four seconds, it's not giving you enough time to figure out how to throw a baseball. You've been throwing that baseball for 25 years. Why does it change because you're taking away a couple of seconds on the time you have to release the ball out of your hand? Somebody like Scherzer, too, who's adjusted to so many things in his career, like you said, so many different teams, so many different situations. He should be able to do that, but it goes back to what we were saying last week about the approach that the Mets took in the offseason, where they tried to bring in too many veteran pitchers, and Justin Verlander already hurt right now. Jose Quintana already hurt right now, too, and they've had to rely on a lot of these young guys to do well at the beginning of the season. Now, the Mets' bullpen has actually strived very well. A lot of these veteran guys like Adovino and Robertson have adjusted well to the pitch clock, so it seems strange that these starters can't be able to do the same kind of thing so far, especially somebody like Scherzer. He should be able to adjust to that kind of thing, and it just worries me with the approach the Mets have with the pitching depth as a whole that they could last it throughout the season, because their hitting is not great, but it's been pretty good, and their bullpen has actually been surprisingly good to start the season, so if they can get any level of the starters, they need it to get anything in contention. If you're a Yankee fan, you should be happy. What you're not expecting is the Tampa Bay Rays, and that says a lot about this team. They don't have superstars on this team. They don't have an Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton or Garrett Cole on this team. They have a bunch of young players and a bunch of role players and a team that believes in what they can do in a division that's one of the hardest divisions, if not the hardest division in professional sports. When you have the Rays, the Yankees, Toronto, Baltimore and Boston. And Baltimore is only getting better. They're young and they're talented. And with that farm system and the growth of that farm system, they're only going to get better. And I don't believe the Boston Red Sox are as bad as their record shows right now. I think they'll figure things out. And I believe that this team is still amongst the best teams in the American League. Yeah, it's weird. The Red Sox have obviously gotten good pitching to start the season and their offense has been the main problem for them. Same kind of thing with the Orioles. Like their offense has been good at certain points, but it's more their pitching, which has been more of a surprise. As far as the Yankees, yeah, the Yankees have actually gotten a good, well-rounded variety of everything so far. Good random production from somebody like Franchi Cordero, a former Red Sox. Labor Torres, like you are mentioning last week, playing very well to start this season as well. Aaron Judge, four home runs already. But the pitching, again, is something that they've gotten in different spurts as well with somebody like Johnny Brito pitching as well as he has. And he's going to need to be pitching in a bigger role because the Yankees have all those injuries with the pitching staff. But all these newer guys coming through, guys like Ian Hamilton pitching well out of the bullpen. Marinaccio's pitched very well out of this bullpen. Albert Breu so far has pitched well out of the bullpen. So they're getting these new guys to come forward when they have a lot of these injuries so far. And it's good to see Michael King have a good week turning around after a rough He'll start be fine. season. So. He'll be fine. He's coming off an elbow injury. He missed the whole second half of the season. Michael King will be okay. He will be the future closer for this New York Yankee team. This is a team that will compete. This is a team that's still not 100% healthy. Their rotation is not 100% healthy. We haven't seen Rodon yet. Could you imagine when Rodon is added to this rotation and Savarino we haven't seen yet? So this is still a work in progress for the New York Yankees. I think they're going 
going to be fine. Are they going to catch the Rays? Yes, I believe they'll catch the Rays. It's still early. I know everybody's trying to look at they have the easiest way to 90 wins. They can win 12 games, 13, 14 games in a row, and then they can lose 12, 8, 9, 10 games in a row. So there's no guarantees that this team will stay hot. It's amazing what they're doing right now, and it's very exciting for baseball. When you see a team that's not, when it comes to a roster elite, still have enough firepower to be one of the best or the best team right now in the majors. It's an amazing story, and you should be excited to see what the Rays are going to do as they extend this season, but I still think the Yankees are the beast from the East. I still think one way or another, the Astros will find their way out of their division, too. And the Rays, 9 of the 12 games they've won. They've won by 5 or more runs, too. They have the best run differential to start the season for a team that was undefeated. And then there's the Mets. I know right now, it doesn't look good with the pitching. Verlander out. Max Scherzer is complaining about a pitch clock (laughs) and probably isn't 100%. And that's just his excuse to say that he has to figure things out. You're not going to see Jose Katana until probably the second half the season, and you're not going to see Edwin Diaz this year because of the injury that he has. So all of a sudden, for a season, everybody thought that the Mets are going to contend. They're behind the eight ball. That doesn't mean that the Mets are out. They're still the second best team in the division. That's not saying much because Philadelphia hasn't figured things out. Miami is starting to play pretty good baseball. They're a young team. You're seeing some of their young studs start to play. And Atlanta, we know how good Atlanta is. There's nothing that told us that Atlanta was going to fall apart, even losing big P including their star shortstop to the Cubs in the offseason. I still think Atlanta is going to be one of the best teams in the majors, one of the best teams in the National League. The question is, can the Mets start to figure things out? Could this rotation start to win back-to-back games, something they've had a problem doing so far early this season? If they could start winning back-to-back games and getting more runs from their stars, I want fans to understand something. You're paying these guys a lot of money. Francisco Lindor has 44 at-bats. He's hitting 226. He has two home runs and eight RBIs. And when you look at the two home runs and eight RBIs, you would think that's a lot. He's struck out 18 times. You are a star baseball player. You're making $300 million. You should not be hitting 227. That batting average has definitely got to go up. Pete Alonso is playing his ass off. He's one of the best hitters in baseball right now. He has six home runs, 12 RBIs, and he's going to be expecting a lot of money. But you're not getting any more. The next player close, besides Lindor and Pete Alonso, Mark Hanna is batting 200. Eduardo Escobar, 103. Sterling Marte, who's a 300 hitter, 268. Tommy Fan, he's a decent pickup, 276, not bad. Francisco Alvarez, 125. This isn't going to get the Mets back into first place in the National League East. There's no way. They need to get more hitting, and they need to start pitching. And this bullpen needs to wake up. That's where I think the Mets are at right now. It's early. I wouldn't cry right now if you're a Mets fan, and I definitely wouldn't cry if I'm a Yankee fan right now because they're not even 100% healthy. They're missing two guys in their rotation and missing three or four relief pitchers, and they're still winning. They're going to be missing Jonathan Lewisica for the next couple of weeks, maybe the next couple of months. So no matter what, the Yankees have enough depth to stay afloat, and they're proving it right now. Thank God they lost Josh Donaldson. He's gone. I don't want to see Josh Donaldson for the rest of the season. Move T.J. LeMayu to third base 
Glaber Torres will play second. Volpe will play short. Bring Pereza up and let him play multiple positions. Stop with this kind of Falefa guy. Trade him. Do something with him. The Dodgers wanted him before the season started. You should have gave him to him. Yeah, and you wonder with the Yankees infield depth, the way it's constructed right now, why these other younger players aren't getting more of the roles that they're doing. I know Peraza didn't hit spring training, but this might be an opportunity for somebody like that, Oswaldo Cabrera, to play a little more than he has so far to start the year. And it's interesting to see what they'll end up doing. As far as the Mets young players, I'm surprised none of them have not been up, except for Alvarez so far. 125 batting average like you were saying. He had the one hit against the Padres RBI. Why so isn't far. Beatty up? Beatty is the other one I'm surprised isn't up because Eduardo Escobar has really struggled to start the year and even defensively he has not looked great yet. Struck out 11 times like you were saying. A 103 batting average and it's up to these roll hitters for the Mets to be able to get it going because Alonzo is going to do his thing. Lindor's doing so well with RBIs and power but like you said on base percentage not great and strikeouts still a lot but they have enough depth in this lineup that should be hitting and guys like McNeil have been a little bit down. Marte have been a little bit down for their standards. Now they took two out of three from the Padres which is nice, but still, the Padres have even started. Do a you bit notice the, the Mets have these powerhouse catchers that come up and they don't do anything for the Mets, and then they either get traded or they go somewhere else and they become stars? Francisco Alvarez was the number one prospect in baseball last year. Everybody said he was the next thing since sliced bread. People were comparing him to JT Realmuto with his power and his ability. He doesn't have the speed of JT Realmuto, but close. he could, do, and he doesn't have the arm or the defense as JT Romuto, but he's a decent catcher. But his ability offensively, right there with some of the best catchers in baseball. And this guy has done nothing. He's batting 125. He has one RBI, no home runs, and he has one hit. That's not good enough. Eight at-bats, one hit, and this is his strength, hitting the ball. That's alarming if you're a Met fan. Now, Speedy, let's get into it. Okay, wrench time! It's time for Crunch Time! Now let's start crunch time in the NHL playoffs. Buy or sell? The Islanders will at least hold it to six games in the first round. 100%. I think the Islanders will give a challenge. Now the question is, do they get enough goaltending to surprise everybody and knock off a team like Carolina. I absolutely believe they will. I think Sorokin will stand on his head. You might see Volamov in one of these games. It's going to be fun. I think the Islanders could absolutely take it to a six game. I am going to buy it. Yeah, I'll buy it too. I think the Hurricane that series could even go a seven games because the Hurricanes offense hasn't been as good, but I'm going to buy that one. I think that could definitely happen. Buy or sell? The Nets will win at least two games against the Sixers. I'm going to buy it. I think the Nets could win two games. There's no way they're winning this series because I think Joel Embiid is just that much better than any of their second-tier players. But, yeah, I think the Nets could win two games, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell that one. I, I think they could get one game at home, game three maybe, or game four, but I don't think they do well beyond that because the Sixers are a tough team to do at home. I just don't think the Nets have enough perimeter defense, so I am going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. The New England Patriots will trade Mac Jones before the NFL draft. Oh, I sell that. No way. I think they're going into the season with Mac Jones. That's why they brought Bill O'Brien back to this team because they believe that he could fix this kid. I just think that Mac Jones could still play in this league and play as the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. This is a defensive minded team with Bill Belichick as the head coach of this team, but no. I think Mac Jones will be the starting quarterback of this team in the beginning of the season, so I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think the only market would have been the Raiders before they signed Jimmy Garoppolo or was hearing the Josh McDaniels connections, but I just don't think there's enough spots for him right now. All the teams that need quarterbacks have either draft picks to draft them or draft picks to trade for somebody like Lamar Jackson if he does not stay with the Ravens, so I just don't know if there's a market. I will sell that one as well. All right, buy or sell. 
The Yankees, by the end of the month of April, will get to within at least two games back of the Rays. I believe it. I don't believe the Rays are going to continue playing this way. They're having a crazy run. It's sensational. It's great to watch for baseball, but I am going to buy it. I think the Yankees will be close to two games by the end of April. I'm going to sell it only because of the pitching injuries. I do think the Rays will fall off a little eventually. They haven't really played a lot of great opponents yet, but I also think the Yankees have to manage these injuries probably for the last month of April. Once they get into May, that's when I think it'll get a little closer, so I am going to sell that one. All right, buy or sell. Somebody other than the Bruins will represent the Eastern Conference at the Stanley Cup. I buy it. I just don't know if I trust the Bruins. I picked the Bruins to go to the Stanley Cup before the season started. Definitely made their team better at the trade deadline. A lot better. But that doesn't mean... Because your team is better or one of the best in the league or they have the best record of all time that they're going all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. We've seen great teams. President Trophy winners get knocked out in the first round. Trust me, if you remember the Blue Jackets series a couple of years ago. So I am going to buy that. I'm going to buy it too. I like the matchup for both the Devils and for the Rangers with their speed that they have. Because the Bruins, even though they're a great team, they're still an older team for the most part, especially in that top six. The Devils and the Rangers both have a lot of speed in their top six. The Devils, I think if they get that far, it'll be Vanacek's getting a lot of confidence, a hot goaltender. And the Rangers have the experience. They just went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I could definitely see one of those teams, if they played the Bruins in the Eastern Conference Finals, knocking them off. So I will buy it as well. All right, buy or sell. Kodai Senga will have the best ERA in the Mets starting rotation by the end of the season. I told you this from the beginning. I told all the Mets fans that he was going to be the best pitcher for the New York Mets this year. And the reason why? Nobody's seen him pitch. There's not enough video of him. It will be next year when you will know if he's a good major league pitcher. But this year, he will be an all-star this year. He'll be one of the best pitchers in the National League. So I am going to buy it. He is going to lead the team in almost every single pitching statistic. I am going to sell that one because I do think he's going to have a cold stretch. Everyone talks about the rookie wall with a lot of these pitchers too. There's always going to be that second half stretch. I think Justin Verlander, it's a matter of his health that I worry about more with the Mets, but it's not about his ability. I still think he's going to be very strong once he does come back from the injury. Max Scherzer, I think, will figure it out too, but I do think second could be second. I do think Verlander will be number one, so I am going to sell that one. All right, buy or sell. The Houston Texans will not take a quarterback second overall. I'm going to sell that. They're definitely drafting a quarterback. It doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't, and if they don't, they're a bunch of idiots. They need a quarterback. They need to fill in that whole Deshaun Watson situation, and getting all those draft picks for Deshaun Watson, right now they can rebuild with a quarterback, with a new coach. They need to have the guy. So I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell it too for this reason of the Colts are right near them in their division. And the Titans, we heard last week, try to trade up to number three overall. Why would you want to let a C.J. Stroud slip to the Titans or the Colts? Then you have to play against them all these times too. I know that you want to say the value of trading back is good, but still, it's also risky letting these quarterbacks go and you're stuck with somebody like Anthony Richardson who could be a project. I think the Texans will take Stroud at two. I think the Panthers will take Young at one. So I am going to sell that one. All right, last one. The Knicks-Cavs series will go seven games. I'm going to sell that. I think the Knicks win in six. I think as long as Randall is healthy and plays decent, he doesn't have to play great. He just needs to play decent, averaging about 20 points a game and about eight rebounds a game, and let Jalen Brunson be the number one guy, and they get enough off the bench, which I believe the Knicks will against the Cavaliers. They'll win in six, so it will not go seven. I will sell that. I'm going to buy that one. I think this is going to be a tough series. Both these teams are very good on the road at certain points, and I think the Knicks, again, they've been iffy at home at certain points in the season, but the Cavs, they still have some matchup advantages on the Cavs, especially in that front court that I still think that tough New York crowd is going to be. I think it's going to be a very back and forth series throughout. It'll be interesting to see which Julius Randle you get in a hypothetical game seven because Jalen Brunson was great in game seven last year against the Suns when he played with Dallas. Donovan Mitchell was good in the passing in certain game sevens as well, but he's also been really bad. So it's going to be a tough series, tough defensive series, but I do think it ends up going seven games. I will buy it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the show. Thank you to the new Iona men's basketball head coach, Topin Anderson, for joining us. He was fantastic. Thank you. Thank 
Thank you to Moneyline Mania and Chaz, as always, giving everybody winners. So if you have not listened to that segment of the show, well, shame on you if you want to make some money because they are over 80%. They've been on this show for over a year and they have been dead right on a lot of their picks. So you should be listening to that segment if you're a betting man. We will be back next week and we will have new guests and new content as always. Please, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the heat. Enjoy the spring. And remember, New York sports is here. When you listen to us every single week on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network brought to you by us and us. Good night, everybody.